This is 2 Kings 19, verses 14 through 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms of the earth may know that you are alone, Lord, our God. This is John 16, verses 32 through 33. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have begun to look at some prayers from the Old Testament that perhaps serve as a model for our prayer life. Last week, we began by looking at the prayer of Jabez, who sought God's blessings of of protection and of strength. It was a prayer based upon a divine promise that God had made. And so we threw out on the table the question Why should God want to answer my prayer? What promise do we find in the scriptures that would make us think that our prayer would be important enough for him to answer? Because you see, when we tie our prayers to a promise that God has made, then we're praying in that manner of Jabez. This morning, we're looking at Hezekiah. And I find this prayer to be one seeking courage and deliverance. King Hezekiah was a very impressive leader in my book. Um, He was the kind of man that every leader should seek to model after. We read here in 2 Kings that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. That was no small feat of accomplishment on his part because Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was perhaps one of the wickedest men to ever rule Judah. Ahaz had stripped the temple of all its furnishings, closed down the temple. Then he went out and he built altars at every street corner in Jerusalem and in all the high places, the hillsides along the countryside. Ahaz, it's even written, sacrificed his own sons to pagan gods. 
So, so in a way, it, it's even a wonder that Hezekiah survived to reign over Judah with that kind of a background. But when his father Ahaz died, Hezekiah took the throne and he began to clean house. For 16 days, under his directive, the, the temple was cleansed. The temple was refurbished. The pagan altars and all the pillars that had been constructed were torn down. And, and one of the relics of Israel's past, if you remember back in the book of Exodus, the snake on the pole that Moses had ordered to be built and, and lifted up, that was destroyed because, because that snake on the pole itself had become an object of worship. No sooner, though, do we read about Hezekiah's cleansing of the temple and, and Judah of its pagan influence that a great terror begins to overshadow the nation. Sennacherib, the, the king of the Assyrians, he comes to pay a visit, and he's not there just for a social call. He has come to take Jerusalem by force, to make an example of Hezekiah. And so this was Hezekiah's first great test. Hezekiah rebelled, and he refused to serve the Assyrians. He was trusting in God. And what catches my attention in this part of his story is how much text in the scripture is dedicated to Sennacherib's taunting words, if you will. Uh, in the previous chapter, in chapter 18, you're going to find 16 verses that play out his arrogance and his pride. I once read about Alfred Hitchcock. and Is anybody a big Alfred Hitchcock fan? The book, books or movies? Yeah. Uh, commenting on how he succeeded in creating suspense in his movies. Because let's face it, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, pretty suspenseful. He explained how he spent such a great deal of time helping the audience to understand the power of the villain in his story. The amount of danger that the hero was in because of that. It wasn't enough just simply to startle us. He needed us to be emotionally involved in what was at stake. And I think that's what God is doing here. He, he, he's setting the stage both for Hezekiah and as we study this for us. He wants us to understand in, in no uncertain terms that Jerusalem doesn't stand a chance against such a powerful as Sennacherib. He wants us to comprehend the danger that Hezekiah faced, the temptation to want to give in to such a mighty army that he must have considered. And, and so it, it had to have been a hard test. But Hezekiah passed with flying colors. He does not fold, he does not give in, he does not surrender. Instead, he does the most important thing that he could possibly do. 2 Kings 19 tells us that he went to the temple of the Lord and he prayed. Now, Lord, deliver us from the hand of Sennacherib 
so that all the kingdom of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. The result from that prayer, God stepped in. The Assyrians were crushed in one night by the power of a single angel. 185,000, the scripture tells us, of the soldiers die. And the might of Sennacherib goes home with its tail between its legs. Prayer is an important, it's a vital part of Christian living. And that's why we're spending this season of Easter looking at prayer. Prayer should be as essential to us as breathing is. That's how important it is. It determines our life and our relationship with God. And I speak of this not prayer as a daily chore, something to do because we're, we're told to, but to have a prayer life that comes from the heart because of our love for God, because we hunger and, and we thirst for more of God in our life. That's the attitude of prayer that we should come with. Uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he says it this way, he says, the heart of prayer is the prayer of the heart. The heart of prayer is the prayer of the heart. It's not simply some words or, or some gestures. Rather, when we come humbly into the presence of God, knowing that, that we're not worthy to be in his presence, but yet knowing that we have been saved by grace through faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. We have a heart for that relationship with the one, here's how Isaiah describes, is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Isaiah 57, 15. So we see from Hezekiah that the first thing he does is he gets alone with God. He prays. The 14th verse, Hezekiah goes up to the temple of the Lord and he spreads out the letter that he had received from these messengers before the Lord. Some of the most effective prayer time in your life will be time that you invest to be alone with God. Find a place at home that is quiet, that you can, you can get rid of the distractions and, and put them out of your mind. Jesus shows us that by example. It's important, it's vital to spend time alone with God. And, and it's there that, that we find ourselves being nourished and lifted up. When Jesus started his ministry, it was only after he spent 40 days in the desert, alone with God the Father. This was preparation time. A time alone with God, a time where he could hear the voice of God and, and to be still. Remember our series? Be still in the presence of God. 
a time to listen for his counsel, all, all those decisions that, that we have to make in life, for, for strength, and for Hezekiah, the, the strength to launch him into a calling in his ministry for which he came into the world. In just the same way, God is calling upon your life. And you must spend time alone with God for him to teach you, for him to strengthen you, to, to build a, a strong, unshakable relationship with him. You have to know him personally. Second, we see here that Hezekiah's prayer begins by praising God. O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Hezekiah knew his place in the pecking order. He's a king. But he also knew that God's place was as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Hezekiah was a king of a nation, but God was the creator and the king over all. Whether in heaven or whether in earth, whether things that can be seen or things that can't be seen, he's sovereign, he's worthy of praise and all glory. So Hezekiah came before the Lord in honor, in humbleness, in reverence of who God is. And again, this is how Jesus taught us to pray as well. If you look in, in Matthew 6, 9, where Jesus is teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer is a model for us. He says, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is saying that when we begin our prayer before God, we must do so by praising him, lifting him up, worshiping him. And, and, and the question is, why? Why, Jesus? Why is that so important? Why do you think we should begin our prayer with praise and worship to God? I think it's so that we take the focus off ourselves and put the focus solely on God. That we can begin to talk to God and not just simply talk at him. Oh, I love prepositions. You've heard me say that before, right? That we can talk to God and not at him. How many times when we go to prayer is it like we're talking at God rather than to God? Hezekiah's prayer was a prayer of confidence. Do you have such a relationship with God that you can run to him first? That you can run to him and speak your mind? That's what Hezekiah does. And in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, 
John writes this. He says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. His will, not our will. God's will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. When we pray, it should be in such a manner that it should be as though we're, we're talking to Jesus face to face. Just sitting down, having a conversation, knowing that, that, that you're in his presence. You're talking with him and, and to him, not just at him. Less of you or me. It also seems here that Hezekiah's prayer was dependent and certain. Hezekiah knew that he was out of his league facing the Assyrians. He, he went before the Lord with, with an honest thought. He poured out his heart that, that he was totally dependent on the Lord. He cannot do this under his strength. He could gather and muster as many men as he could, and it seemed like an impossible task. How many times do we find ourselves in that type of a situation? And yet, we think we have the answer. We think we can be tough. We can plow through. When what God wants for us is to humble ourselves and to trust him. Hezekiah continues to pray here in verse 19. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah had the kind of faith that allowed him to pray with confidence, being completely dependent on God, certain that God was going to save them. And notice again, just like the prayer of Jabez that we talked about last week, the most powerful prayers are the ones that bring glory and honor to God and are according to his will. Examine your prayer life this week. Consider whether what you pray for are things that bring glory and honor to God. Is God your first point of contact? Or, or do you run to someone else? Or something else? And coming to God is just another option when the rest of them are exhausted. He must be first in all things. And what do we find in the end of all this, again, another relatively short prayer. 
we find deliverance. We read later on in the 19th chapter, I invite you to do this at home this week, that the angel of the Lord went out and again struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. God had answered supernaturally. And all King Hezekiah had to do was allow God to bring that victory. He didn't have to do anything but to have complete trust, to have confidence, to have faith in God. That's the kind of faith we need to have. Folks, if, if, if we trust God, then the words of John 16 that Easton read define our great deliverance. The time is coming. Indeed, it, it's here now when you will be scattered, each of you going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. And we know that. Life isn't easy. Being a Christian is even less easy. <laughs> but take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. In the words of a great wise man, I don't want to digress here, but this wasn't the last time that Hezekiah faced a test. Second Kings chapter 20 begins by telling us, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and it was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. I don't believe Isaiah's visit was simply a, a social call again. I believe God was putting Hezekiah to the test. And again, he passes with flying colors. The test drove him to pray. And I just, I, I see this, this is a prayer like maybe he's never prayed before, even as powerful as what we read there in chapter 19. Second Kings chapter 20, again, at the very beginning, verses 2 and 3. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah humbled himself. He laid it all out before God. Think back to school and the purpose of a test to show the teacher what the student has learned. 
In this case, the instructor, the teacher, is God. But he already knows what's in our hearts. And so his tests are just a little bit different because they're intended to let us know where we're at in our walk with him. It's not so much about the teacher as the student. These tests, they're God's tools to shape our faith, to challenge our tendency to just want to get by in our walk with him. The word testimony, think about it. The word testimony begins with the word test. And when you think about it, our, our testimonies often are, are the results of having gone through something difficult, something that has maybe tested our faith a little bit, tested our trust in God. And what makes testimony so powerful is that often they reflect not only that we maybe passed the test, but that God blessed us with his love, with his mercy, in the midst of whatever that challenge, whatever that storm was. Author and poet Joyce Locke says it this way. Today's difficulties are tomorrow's testimonies. Today's difficulties are tomorrow's testimonies. Courage, deliverance from whatever that challenge, whatever that difficulty is, God is there to bless us that we might share that with others. So now as we go from here, may God the Father give you courage and give you wisdom. May the pioneer of our faith, Jesus Christ, guide you in your journey. And may the work of the Holy Spirit Renew your hope. Amen.